The History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week, November 22nd, 1965. I'm Kalen Jones. It's Monday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. An unlikely rain is falling over the desert. 7,000 fans have escaped the bad weather, crammed into the Dome Convention Center downtown. They're here to watch a boxing match, but not just any match. Today, the crowds are here for the biggest sports event of them all, the World's Heavyweight Championship fight. Two-time heavyweight champion Floyd Patterson is competing to win back the belt from Muhammad Ali. This fight is poised to be bitter. The two boxers have a history. Floyd Patterson, a black man, has publicly taken Muhammad Ali to task for his controversial affiliation with the Nation of Islam. To Ali, his membership is about black empowerment. To many others, like Patterson, it's a hate group. My only interest in fighting him, not for the money, is merely to take the championship away and to put it back to where it belongs. All America, not just a black Muslim. Ali is not happy with Patterson's comments. This will be a mismatch. First, I'm going to punish him. I don't think he deserves a quick knockout because he's been talking so bad about me. After a lot of talk, the fight is set to begin. Muhammad Ali stands in one corner, Floyd Patterson in the other. Today, Muhammad Ali defends his heavyweight title. What had Ali done to draw love and hate across America? How did this boxing match embody a struggle within the civil rights movement? And how did it serve as a key stepping stone in Ali's evolution into one of the era's most iconic voices? Muhammad Ali has not always been such an outspoken social political figure. Just a year ago, in 1964, his life looked different when he was fighting under his birth name, Cassius Marcellus Clay. It's February 1964. Cassius Clay is in Miami, Florida, preparing for the biggest fight of his life. He's taking on Sonny Liston. If Clay wins, he'll become the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. But no one expects that. He's a 7-1 underdog against Liston. And yet, as always, Clay's got confidence. If you'd like to lose your money, be a fool and bet on Sonny. Cassius Clay speaks with his whole body, standing opposite a brawny, sullen Sonny Liston. He rips off quip after quip, reciting smack talk with a poetic rhythm. I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fat, I'm pretty, and can't possibly be beat. And he does it because it works. Not just in getting under opponent's skin, but raising Clay's profile. One of his many biographers, Jonathan Eig, explains. He realizes that being a personality will help him get that fight sooner. So he becomes kind of a cocky clown where he's calling the rounds in which he's going to beat his opponents. 
It's this bravado that's lifted him from segregated Louisville, Kentucky to a gold medal in the 1960 Rome Olympics to standing opposite the greatest fighter in the world, Sonny Liston, who isn't about to let the Louisville lip dance verbal circles around him. You might be young and handsome, but you won't be after I finish with you. Sonny Liston became the heavyweight champion two years earlier in 1962. Coming into this fight, he's won each of his last three bouts by knockout and has a 35-1 record. Sports writers are so convinced of Liston's greatness, they say he's bad for the sport. No one can beat him. A much more experienced fighter, a slugger who has knocked out his last few opponents in matters of seconds. So Liston is considered unbeatable. And certainly people feel like Ali has no chance. Most of them thought he was not only going to lose, that he would probably be killed. So it's an interesting match to see this guy, an established worldwide heavyweight champ, against some boastful young fighter who's described by many as a clown. You're 40 years old if a day, and you don't belong in the ring with Cassius Clay. No, I shouldn't because it'd be a disgrace to see the people... Let the people see me kill you like I am. Clay has plenty of strengths. Despite being tall, he's quicker than most heavyweights. But he's still relatively unproven in the boxing ring. He's young. He uses loose technique, keeping his hands low and throwing punches from his hips. He weighs less than Liston. And while his punches may be precise, they don't seem backed by overwhelming power. His first major test comes on February 25th, 1964. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Miami Beach, Florida. Now I want a clean bout. When they order to break, stop punching and step back. Good luck. Take hands. Early on, Liston looks in control. He moves forward as Clay moves back in the fence, dodging when he can. Clay throws a few jabs and connects with his left glove. And the long left lead is making the difference so far by Mr. Clay. But by round four, it looks like Clay can barely see. His cornermen dab at his eyes. Something wrong with Clay. Something wrong with Clay. It could spell doom for Clay if he can't see. Liston throws one strike after another. Then he pummels his side. Left, right. Left, right, left. Until Clay pushes him away. In round six, the young fighter begins to land more shots. Jabs to the face, multiple punches to the body. Clay with a variety of punches. We call them combination. Putting punches together. That's his strong point. Liston returns to the corner where his men address a cut on his face. Clay lifts his arms up in the air as if he's already won. And then the ref calls it. They might be stopping it. That might be all, ladies and gentlemen. Cassius Clay wins. Liston is hidden, blocked by his cornermen. Clay, on the other hand, stands in the middle of the ring with his jaw dropped in shock. He reaches up and dances. And I whooped him. I whooped him. He couldn't even hurt me. He and I'm wearing a muscle mitt. Right. I'm the prettiest thing that ever lived. Hold it. Hold it. Here's a guy. Go, Go. Come on in. The ring is mobbed with people, and Cassius Clay, now heavyweight champion of the world, takes it all in. And I upset Sonny Liston, and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. I told the world, I talk to God every day. The God's with me came over out of here against the Sonny. Overnight, Cassius Clay becomes arguably the most visible athlete on earth. 
He spends this meaningful period with the friend you may have heard of, Malcolm X, the Muslim minister and civil rights activist. Clay also sees him as a mentor, calling him the Big M. They met a few years earlier at a rally hosted by the Nation of Islam in Chicago and had quite a bit in common when it comes to black empowerment and public debate. In a hotel room, Malcolm X is in his ear, saying, it's time for Clay to get serious. After all, boxing is a means to an end. He and others believe Clay can rally more young black folk to join a popular movement more radical than the one laid out by the Christian Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. The next morning, Clay returns to the Miami Beach Convention Center for a press conference. He's wearing a suit jacket, his white dress shirt buttoned up with an open collar. Reporters fill the room, holding up microphones and cameras. Clay is calmer and more composed than he was prior to yesterday's fight. He stands in front of the press and says, I don't have to be what you want me to be. I'm free to be what I want to be and think what I want to think. I'm free. I'm a black man, I'm proud, my religion, my name, my beliefs, get used to it. And that is an unbelievably revolutionary statement at that time. You know, Colin Kaepernick and and, uh, other athletes today are being told to shut up and dribble, as they say for the uh, players in the NBA. Ali, you know, 50 years earlier is saying, nope, nope, I'm going to do it my way, get used to it. And um, we're still not used to it. Clay explains to the press that he has converted to Islam. 1964 is a time of particular racial consciousness. Many young black Americans actually gravitate towards the Islamic faith. Here's Dr. Gerald Early, professor of English and African American studies at Washington University in St. Louis. And many black people were attracted to it because they thought of it as a religion that didn't have the kind of racist baggage that Christianity had or the association with colonialism that Christianity had and so forth. But Clay stood out by converting to the Nation of Islam rather than Sunni or Shia denominations. To much of America, this is especially concerning. The group, often disparagingly referred to as Black Muslims, is accused of all sorts of things. Being communists, carrying weapons, being a hate group. No, 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 Clay explains. He says, quote, all they want to do is live in peace with the world. The Nation of Islam was a highly misunderstood group um, because they weren't a hate group in the way that the Klan was or something like that or some kind of terrorist group. They preach constantly self-reliance. Black people need to do for themselves. They need to go out and build for themselves. They need to build their own institutions. They need to separate and have their own territory and all that sort of stuff. To this point in his life, Clay hadn't really spoken up on politics or civil rights. Early says it makes sense why he waited until this moment. There was nothing they could do because he was a champion. On March 6, 1964, he even announces a name change from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. He's given the name by Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Nation of Islam. Cassius Clay is a name no more, is that right? Yes, sir. It's Muhammad Ali. Muhammad means worthy of all praises, and Ali means most high in the Asian African language. A year later, in May 1965, Ali has his first opportunity to defend the heavyweight boxing crown in a rematch against Sonny Liston. Located in Maine, the fight fails to attract a large audience. The champion is greeted by a chorus of boos. In his biography of Ali, Ig writes that he may have been the most disliked man in America at that moment. 
The fight is over in minutes. Ali throws a punch so fast, many onlookers totally miss it. The moment becomes known as the Phantom Punch, but is remembered much more for the iconic image of Ali standing over Liston. Ali's record is now a staggering 20 victories to zero losses. He is taking down a man twice, once seen as unbeatable. I had to time the man with my rhythm and bouncing where he was coming at me and where I was meeting him and just, that's all, Goodbye, twist. And you can't see it, but if you were hit with it, all of you would be out. Rumors circulate that Liston threw the fight or that it was somehow fixed. Since first defeating Liston, Ali has shifted away from being just the fast-talking heavyweight boxer and established himself as a socio-political figure. When he joined the Nation of Islam, really began to see himself as kind of speaking for his people. The entertainers are not really supposed to be or not supposed to come out and say stuff that's political. American entertainment in that regard didn't want athletes, no matter what their color was, to say anything political or represent anything political. Many people hated him flat out, and they still do today. Advisors tell him he'll lose millions of dollars. He'll be less attractive as a boxer. It'll be hard to sell tickets. Ali doesn't really care about any of that because he was willing to risk everything. He's willing to stand up for his beliefs. He was willing to call out racism. And, and this was really bold. He was willing to risk everything for what he believed in. But not everyone enjoys Ali's newfound political fervor. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. is quoted by a paper in 1964 saying, when Cassius Clay joined the black Muslims, he became the champion of racial segregation. And that is what we are fighting against. Many want to see Ali dethroned. Enter Floyd Patterson, the former two-time heavyweight champion. As a fellow black boxer, he doesn't think a member of the Nation of Islam should be the holder of such a meaningful title like the heavyweight champion of the world. And soon, he'll have the chance to take it away. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I also feel that it should not be in the hands of one group of people, and that's the Muslims. It gives a very bad example as far as the foreign countries are concerned, and even our country. Floyd Patterson, a devout Roman Catholic 
known as the Gentleman of Boxing. He made a name for himself in the 1952 Summer Olympics when he won a gold medal in the middleweight division. He then rose through the ranks of professional boxing, becoming the youngest man to ever win the heavyweight title. He relied on speed, employing the legendary peekaboo boxing style, keeping his gloves raised near his face. Patterson is also known for being the first fighter to win the heavyweight title back after losing it. It's this man who becomes the symbol of opposition to Muhammad Ali, and could very well take away Ali's crown as the heavyweight boxing champ. Patterson biographer W.K. Stratton. He believed in America. You know, he was proud to be an American. And he believed in mid-20th century liberalism. Uh, He campaigned in 1960 very hard for John Kennedy for president. He was an activist in that way. Dr. Todd Boyd is a professor at the University of Southern California and chair for study of race and popular culture. Floyd Patterson represented the establishment. You know, he represented the status quo. He represented an older way of thinking and defining oneself. Ultimately, the fighters come to represent two perspectives on a path forward for Black Americans. For Ali and the Nation of Islam, integration is not the answer. Neither is being beholden to nonviolence. But they weren't the only ones who were saying, I'm not into nonviolence. I'm sorry that doesn't work for me. And I'm, I don't want to be going on these marches and having these white people beat me up, and I don't do anything. Meanwhile, Patterson relates more to Martin Luther King Jr.'s principles of nonviolence, peaceful protests, and integration. Patterson contributed financially to King's cause, marched with him. Some consider him an activist athlete in his own right. Malcolm X, though, called him a brainwashed black Christian. Jonathan Ike. Patterson was seen as kind of the, um, the hero of white America. He was a decent, kind, friendly, affable guy and did not seem to pose a threat in the same way that Ali and even Sonny Liston did. So with all this in mind, Patterson challenges Ali to the heavyweight boxing title. Do you think you're going to accept Patterson's oh, that, offer? That sissy flawed Patterson, he ain't no fighter. He's a chump. He, can't, he couldn't go one round, two rounds with Liston. Couldn't go one round with Liston twice. A fight is born. More than a physical matchup, though, it takes on all its symbolism. Islam versus Christianity. One idea of self-actualization for Black Americans versus another. Patterson went into the fight, I think, with many, if certainly many white Americans supporting him because they thought Ali was the bad guy. Ali clearly went into the fight as the bad guy. The lead-up to the fight is ugly. The trash talk is intense. Patterson calls Ali un-American. He refuses to call Muhammad Ali by his name, instead referring to him as Cassius Clay. Occasionally, Ali focuses smack talk on fighting, insulting Patterson's height, power, and footwork. But frequently, it's more loaded. What's my name? My name is Mohammed Ali. You ain't nothing, but I'm a problem for white people. What's my name, I'm a problem, Negro? I'll jump on you now. I guess, how do we reckon with the idea that, you know, Ali is for the determination of black people, but he's also using the grading terms. That's always been an issue about Ali in that regard. 
because his group was being attacked so much, Nation of Islam was being so criticized and attacked, particularly in the white press and so forth, he felt especially compelled to defend his religion. And so that's very important to understand about him. And it didn't bother him if he had to denigrate his black opponents who he felt they were disrespecting him because of the things they were saying about his religion. W.K. Stratton, Patterson's biographer, says Ali is playing into a, quote, villain role. There's a lively debate today over how much of the trash talk is genuine. Stratton, for example, thinks it's strategic of Ali to build up the theatrics. If I say these provocative things that upset people, there'll be people who'll come out just to boo me and uh, just to say, oh, I want to see that guy get his comeuppance. And likely, there is some of that. But ultimately... Dr. Gerald Early thinks the vitriol was real. And I think the dislike, political dislike between the two men was quite sincere. All this leads to the fight becoming known as a moral crusade. It's November 22nd, 1965. Las Vegas, Nevada is a growing city that's looking to become a sports hub. People are descending from all over the world to the convention center, with countless more tuning in via closed circuit TV. Today, the crowds are here for the biggest sports event of them all, the world's heavyweight championship fight. Floyd Patterson saunters up to the elevated ring. He wears a red robe with his name embroidered across the back. Invisible even on black and white TV, his signature pompadour hairstyle. Muhammad Ali bounces through the crowd towards the ring. He wears a white robe, which Sports Illustrated calls tacky. He slips under the top rope and shuffles his feet back and forth in preparation. Ali is favored to win. He's clearly bigger, standing at a towering six foot three versus Patterson's six foot even. Ali is 210 pounds versus Patterson's 194. At 30 years old, Patterson is much older too. People who knew fighting didn't think that Patterson stood much of a chance of winning the fight. Still, it's not impossible. Perhaps Patterson's style will match up well against Ali. The crowd is led through the national anthem. As Ali continues to shift, one crowd member yells, Stand at attention, you bum! The heckling continues as the announcer introduces the two fighters. From Louisville, Kentucky, wearing white trunks, Weighing 210 pounds, the heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali. The TV lists his birth name, Cassius Clay, in parentheses. Now the round begins. There's little to no action in the beginning. Ali beautifully glides around the ring, with Patterson failing to land a single punch in the first round. In the first minute of this fight, Cassius Clay seems contempt of just moves. And very low. Things heat up in the third, but the match is already looking uneven. When Patterson takes a swing, it looks like he needs a ladder to reach Ali, but he still has the crowd support. Meanwhile, Ali trash talks Patterson. Come on, white American. In the fourth, Ali begins his onslaught, landing a few painful-looking jabs. 
some right on his opponent's face. Meanwhile, Patterson tries to launch attacks of his own, but Ali ducks out of the way. As the rounds come and go, Ali doesn't mind taking things slow and deliberate. It looks like Patterson can't touch him. His windups are labored versus Ali's lightning reflexes. When the sixth round ends, Patterson almost looks hurt. His shoulders are raised as he lumbers back to his corner. Last year, Ali knocked out Liston in just seven rounds, but this fight goes to the eighth, ninth. The announcers notice Patterson is off. That's definitely Floyd's back that's bothering him. Tenth round. The announcers speak as if they're on Patterson's side, saying he can still land a home run shot. Floyd Patterson has all the courage in the world. Dr. Todd Boyd. Patterson was a desperate man trying to find whatever edge he could. In the 11th round, the ref shouts, Floyd's okay. 12th round, Ali is in even more control, landing any combination of punches he wants. Though the announcers still seem uncomfortable calling him Muhammad Ali. Beautiful punches by Patterson, Floyd, the world champion. Beautiful shots all the way. Patterson really starts to look desperate. Ali's trainer urges him to knock Patterson out and finish it off. He's wobbling. He's hurt. He's on the receiving end of good punches all the way. Finally, the referee gets between the two fighters and puts an end to the battle. I believe they're going to stop it. The time, two minutes and 18 seconds of the 12th round. Referee stops the contest. The winner and still heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali. All praises due to Allah for giving him the strength to overtake a crowd booing against me and just beat a man merciful who's a fast, top-notch boxer. Muhammad. Thanks to Allah for the supreme boxing wisdom. Sports writer Dave Kindred wrote about Muhammad Ali for decades. He did not like how the fight played out. Ali was there to punish Floyd Patterson for his, I guess, political views, his racial views, his religious views. He was there to punish him, and he did it. Kindred mentions the New York Times write-up the next day by Robert Lipsight. I remember reading his story of that fight, and the line that stands out to me from his writing that night was that it was as if Ali kicked the wings off a butterfly. It was so cruel. To me, it was one of the worst moments of Ali's career. Many across America felt the same way, that Ali was cruel to Patterson and wanted to make him suffer. W.K. Stratton, though, does not see this fight as unjust or as a stain on Ali's legacy. People look at what they saw on TV and what they read in in newspaper reports, and they think that Ali was this sadist in the ring who who intentionally dragged this thing out just so he could beat up on on Patterson. But I don't think he was sadistic at all. I think he did the right thing. Uh, It's the referee's job to end the fight. Ali himself says he wasn't trying to prolong the battle. No, I couldn't knock him out. I took my best punches. He wouldn't fall. Surprised me. He's a good fighter. Determined. 
Floyd Patterson reflects on all of this in a magazine article called In Defense of Muhammad Ali. He writes that he actually hoped Ali would knock him out, but that he wasn't landing strong enough punches. Patterson adds he was nursing back issues and muscle spasms during the fight. But even though he was injured, he didn't want to back down. In the same article, Patterson reflects on his verbal and physical bouts with Muhammad Ali. Patterson explains how a prize fighter isn't expected to quote, shoot off his mouth about politics. That there certainly were some theatrics leading up to the fight because of the societal issues projected on the both of them. But that ultimately, Patterson feels for Ali and thinks he may be treated a tad unfairly. The Moral Crusade fight does not go down as one of Muhammad Ali's most significant. However, it helped establish him as a great champion, according to Dave Kindred. Whether it was important in a, in a sociological way, I don't think so. And yet, there's an argument for why it did matter. So do you think there was value, aside from the entertainment value, do you think there was value to the fight in giving the clashing of the religions sort of a discussion as a platform? Yeah, I think there was value in it. And I think it was in some ways helpful and instructive for black people for that fight to take place, for them to see these differences and to be able to think about them and to think about both sides of this argument and to understand what was at stake. So in that respect, me looking back at it, I don't think it was a bad thing about airing the differences. I think in some ways it was, it brought clarity to uh, many black people to air the differences in the way Patterson Ali did in that fight. And while there may be questions about its significance, the fight is the first test for Ali, which proved that after deciding to be open about his beliefs, he could overcome intense scrutiny both in and out of the ring. After defeating Patterson, Ali would refuse to be drafted to fight in the Vietnam War, angering many Americans by publicly questioning its purpose altogether. The quote-unquote greatest was even exiled from boxing for more than three years. Yet, even amidst all this, Ali never wavered. And that bold determination is cemented into his legacy today. Dr. Todd Boyd. When Ali announced that he was a member of the Nation of Islam, how people acted towards him and why this was so controversial. And eventually, you know, you get to uh, his refusal to go to Vietnam, uh, which is connected to this. Boyd suggests the controversy around the Moral Crusade fight is part of Ali's journey from an athlete to social justice icon. Jonathan Ike. The number one reason that Ali's story is important today and will be important for hundreds of years to come is that he stood up for what he believed in. And he was willing to sacrifice everything for what he believed in. He was willing to give his life for what he believed in. And he stood up to say, America can be a better country. We can be better people. We can overcome our racism. We can overcome our biases. And he was willing to put it on, on the line for that. And he suffered for it, but he kept getting up. He kept getting knocked down and he got back up over and over again. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1991, 
the Sacramento Kings snap an NBA record losing streak of 43 consecutive road games. 2004, Roger Federer wins his record 13th straight tennis final. If you want to get in touch, please shoot us an email at our email address, sportspod at history.com. We'd love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Gerald Early, Professor of English and African American Studies at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. Todd Boyd, Professor at the University of Southern California and Chair for Study of Race and Popular Culture. Jonathan Ike, author of the biography, Ali, A Life. W.K. Stratton, author of the biography, Floyd Patterson. And Dave Kindred, an American sports writer best known for his coverage of Muhammad Ali. Keep your eyes out for Jonathan Ike's next biography called King, A Life, about Martin Luther King Jr. It's set to be released May 16th, 2023. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim. It was story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>